acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It's good to be with you today. I told the early service, I keep being hopeful in the morning when you wake up and it's kind of gloomy out that it'll be cold outside. And someone, and someone came out the door and said, weren't you born in Florida? I said, I was, I know. I said, but I'm still hopeful that one day it'll be cool. Next week, ah, hallelujah. So I want to talk to you today about this reading from Philippians. And as I was preparing this sermon, the big idea was first, fix our eyes on Jesus. And then I changed it to be humble. And as I worked on the sermon more, I decided it's be humble and fix your eyes on Jesus. So that's where we're at for today. Uh, this letter to the Philippians today in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, really focuses on the virtue of selflessness. It's looking out for the needs of others rather than one's own interest. And then in verses 5 through 11, Paul uses the preeminent example of selfless service of Jesus Christ himself as the first in a series of examples to the Philippians on how to follow Christ. He tells of Jesus who relinquished his exalted status and glory, becoming incarnate and humiliating himself to meet the needs of fallen humanity through death on the cross. You see, Paul is concerned about the attitude of the people at the church at Philippi. He wants them to be in relationship with God, of course, but he wants them also to be in relationship with each other and have unity in the body. Paul wanted these people, this church family, to enjoy the unity of heart, mind, and a common purpose. I believe this call applies to us today, the church, that we need to be united in heart, mind, and purpose to go out and spread the gospel. We really must have an attitude that fosters unity. The foundation to having such unity comes only through humility. Paul does not give us a bunch of principles to develop a humble heart, but he does tell us to look to Jesus, the preeminent example of self-sacrifice and humility. Having true humility begins by being humble before God. And so that's where we're going to start today, being humble before God. And if you flip over in Proverbs to chapter 11, it says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. He goes on in Proverbs 15 to say, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And so if we're humble, we gain wisdom. And if we have wisdom, then there's a healthy fear of the Lord. And so this week, and God always kind of does this when I preach. Sometimes I debate, you know, did I, am I picking the right reading from the scriptures? Is this the one that I'm supposed to preach on? And so Tuesday morning, my devotional, one of the ones that I read and get emailed to me, was from Philippians 2, 1 to 13. And that happens about every time I preach something like that. So I said, okay, Lord. And I'm going to read a portion of that devotional to you because I felt it was very appropriate in talking about that we have to be humble before God first. And it says, humility towards God is akin to the fear of God. It begins with a high view of God's person. As we see God in his majesty, awesomeness, and holiness, we are humbled before him. In every occasion in the scriptures in which man was privileged to view God in his glory, he was brought low or humbled in his presence. Moses bowed to the ground and worshipped. Isaiah cried, woe is me. Ezekiel fell face down. And John fell at his feet 
as though dead. Even the four living creatures and the 24 elders in heaven of revelation fell down before the throne of the glorified Lamb. You see, humility in every area of, we need humility in every area of life, in every relationship with other people, begins with a right concept of God as the one who is infinite and eternal in his majesty and holiness. And as we think about these things, you know, it got me thinking, how do we see God? How do we really see God? Do we see him, as this devotional said, in his majesty and awesomeness and holiness and are humbled before him? Or do we see him as someone that we run to only when times are bad? Or we only go to when we need something and expect him to do as we ask? Or most of the time, we don't even ask him, we tell him. I was reminded how often, as I wrote this homily, how often that's how I approach God and tell him how things need to be. I always have a plan, and sometimes God just doesn't get on the same plan as I'm on. And yet, that's not very humble to go before a holy and righteous God telling him what I think he needs to be doing. And it really hit me this week on, on Wednesday, I was reading a news article and it was about a teenage girl up in Palatka that was out hunting with her dad on Tuesday and got hit by lightning, her and her dad. She's 16 years old. The dad regained consciousness. She didn't. He did CPR. She ended up being going to Shands, and she ultimately passed away on Thursday. And as I was thinking about that, it, it reminded me in seeing that she'd passed away that Father Don and I had a conversation on Wednesday. On Wednesdays, Father Don and I go out usually and do visitations to the hospital and the nursing homes. And as you walk through these nursing homes and you look into the rooms, there's so many people that are just laying in the beds. And that is their life. They're confined to a bed. They don't really have a great quality of life and they're lingering. And you look at this girl, and as I read the articles about this girl, everyone said the one thing they could say about her was that she loved Jesus, that she was constantly inviting her friends to church from her high school. She was constantly inviting them to youth group on Wednesday night. She was always sending out these texts, and they said everyone in Palatka High School knew her because she was so on fire for Jesus. And these are the times that we go to God and say, why did this happen, Lord? Why did you do this? This, is, this was not a good plan. Lord, this wasn't a good plan. We've got people laying in nursing homes with no quality of life, really. And you've got a young girl on fire for you, and she dies because of a lightning strike? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? That's how I feel sometimes. But as I was writing this sermon, I said, that's not a very good attitude to go to God with. That's not a humble attitude of an awesome, majestic, holy God. Because God knows the greater plan, and he has a purpose in how he's done things, and who's here, and who goes on to be with him at certain times. Who am I to go to him and say, Lord, you did it wrong? Who am I? That's not a very humbled personality trait. And as I thought about that, I thought about that more as I went through preparing this homily today. So this is really for me. This is really for me, and how do I approach God? And I hope it helps you, and how do you approach God? You see, the humility before God is basic, really, to all our relationships in life. We cannot begin to experience humility in any other relationship until we experience a deep 
and profound humility in our attitude toward God. So today, in a way, when we look at humility, it's a little tricky. Because as I looked up definitions about humility, somehow the self gets put into those definitions. Somehow often in a, in a definition of humility, there's a mention of ourselves. And see, if you consider yourself to be a humble person, then I can assure you, you're probably not. That's probably not a good start to it. And if you try to def define humility and, and those definitions that go back to reference oneself, I don't think those are correct at all. Sometimes we try to define it by talking about the opposite, which we often say is pride. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. You know, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis, and it's one that we've heard before, a quote, but he said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And that is kind of where it starts. Am I thinking of myself less when I go up and approach God? Am I falling at God's feet when I approach him? How do I interact with other people? Am I, am I me-centered or am I others-centered? And so I really agree with that. And then this reading today from Philippians in verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only look out to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You see, according to the scriptures, the opposite of humility is really selfishness. And I would say pride always produces selfishness. And in those definitions that somehow reference ourselves, we have to learn that really humility is not about ourself at all, but about others. It's not about putting yourself down, but it is about lifting others up. And how contrary to society that is today, because how often when we see people that are succeeding in a way that we deem better than ourselves, we try to find a way to cut them down. We try a way to bring them down and to raise ourselves up. And this is totally contrary to what God is saying, where God is saying we're here to raise up others and glorify him and do his will, because it's not about me. It's not about how wonderful I am. It's about how great our God is. And so if I'm about me, I'm, a, I'm selfish and not humble. But if I'm about others, I'm humble. It's really that simple, and yet I think it becomes so complicated. Humility is really about being set free from the prison of self and into the God-given capacity to love others well. And it's really the way of the cross, moving from being a me person to a you person, to an others person. I loved what Alistair Begg said. He said, it is in serving that greatness is displayed. Honor is found in giving, not in getting. The way to up is the way down, and the true measure of this is embodied in Jesus himself. And you see, that's really what Paul does in this letter to the Philippians, because he doesn't give us a list of ways to be humble, but he does say, look to Christ, look to Jesus, follow his example. And that's going to start with us, how do we interact with God? How are we interacting 
with God. And I think that's where we need to evaluate our lives today. Are our lives reflecting that of a scripture view of following Jesus? Or are we doing following Jesus my own way, where I follow Jesus in some aspects, but then go about these other areas this other way because I like it better? I liked an example kind of of humility was found in a book that I'd read in seminary called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Don Whitney. And he said this, he said, when I think of humility, I think of a faithful willingness to serve. And I remember a quiet little man from a church where I was on staff in my early years. One Sunday, his arrival, on Sundays, his arrival was always unnoticed, for he would come long before anyone else, yet he bar he buried his car into an obscure corner of the parking lot to leave the best places for others. When you walked up, he'd give you a bulletin and a big smile, but he couldn't talk. He was embarrassed when newcomers asked him questions. Something had happened to him long ago, and when I met him well into his 70s, he was living by himself. When he had car trouble, which was often, he never let anyone know and would walk more than a mile to church. Because of his vulnerability, he was robbed and beaten due to the location of our church, and at least, and that happened at least twice during my three years there. Some longtime church members told me they suspected he has lost his voice as a result of one of these beatings. He had extensive arthritis, which stooped his shoulders and prevented him from turning his neck. It made hard work of unlocking doors and handing out bulletins, but he was always there, always smiling, and even though he couldn't speak a word, Everything about his life worked to keep him unheralded and in the background, even his name, Jimmy Small. Yet despite his drawbacks and setbacks, handicaps, and a plethora of potential excuses, he was humble and willing to serve God. And he served in such a disciplined way, which in the sight of God was neither small nor in vain. The Lord Jesus was always the servant, the servant of all, the servant of servants the servant. He said, I am among you as the one who serves. If we are to be like Christ, we must discipline ourselves to humble ourselves and serve as Jesus served. And I thought how simple that is, how simple that is to serve the way Jesus served, and yet we so often don't do it. And I think of this guy, and I, I love that, and right away I thought back to that reading and that spiritual disciplines of someone that had so little and yet really did so much for the church he was a part of because he was humble. He was humble. We must look at Christ because when we look to him, there dies all our selfish aspirations. You see, when I look at Christ, I can't say I'm that good, I'm that great, because I know I put him on that cross. My sins put him there. And the only way I can approach him is with a humble spirit and fall at his feet and worship him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, It is part of the discipline of humility that we must not spare our hand where it can perform a service and that we do not assume that our schedule is our own to manage but allow it to be arranged by God. And I thought about that and I really liked that quote because probably one of the hardest things I had to learn when working, starting to work at a church back in 2010, was that my schedule really wasn't my own. No matter how good of plans you made for the day, no matter how you 
wrote out your schedule, things happen. Ministry opportunities happen that aren't scheduled. And as I've moved into the priesthood, that's become more and more apparent that you just never know when the phone's going to ring and someone's going to be in the hospital and one of us is going to the hospital and one of us is off to a nursing home and one of us is running here. And those things are not on the schedule. They're not things that you schedule during the day, but we have to get to that point that we can say what Bonhoeffer said. Our schedule is not our own to manage. We have to be so surrendered to Christ that we give him everything, including that schedule. And I'm a scheduled person. I really like a schedule. I like to know 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and throughout the day. And that's not how it works in ministry. You can schedule some things, but a lot of things come up. And that's an area that God is working on me because that's part of being humble is saying even that is not my own anymore. You know, I thought of Deacon Karen this week who got a flat tire coming back from the airport on Monday night. And, of course, they don't have spare tires in most newer cars. So she didn't have a spare tire, has a flat tire, and it just kind of rippled out and affected a lot of people. And a lot of people's schedules got changed and what they were doing to help her get to Ocala and get her car back up here and get a new tire and get the car home. A lot of things happen. But when, you're, when your view is, is that I'm here to do what God has called me to do, what Jesus has called me to do, you don't let those disruptions of your day frustrate you. You can't let that happen because we're constantly having to go back to say, I'm going before God with total humility and falling at his feet and saying, whatever you have for me, Lord, today, I'm good with. Because you are awesome, and you are majestic, and you are holy. And who am I to tell you how you need to do things? I was reminded also of another book in seminary that I highly recommend everyone read. It's called The Rise and Fall of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. A long book, I think it was almost 500 pages. But as I read that book, it looks at from basically the depression up to current day and how we moved from a society that was really other-centered in a lot of ways to a society that's all about individualism. And it's an amazing book of just seeing that change. Now, each generation, the, the level of humility that was there got less and less and less until we arrived where we are today with I can be who I want to be and do what I want to do and no one's going to tell me because I am in control of my life and I'm going to do it my way. We moved from a state of humility to total selfishness. Total selfishness through that book. And it, it was just amazing to see all the pieces that went into that. And I think that's the only way we're going to fix where we're at today to fix where the country's heading, to fix where the world's heading, is to be a people that are approaching God humbly. So often we hear people say, you know, 86% of Americans believe there's a God, but I think they might only believe there's a God in times of need. And then they go to him and tell him how to fix the things in times of need. And then when he doesn't do that, they get angry, and they move on and say, well, he doesn't care about me, he's so distant. And yet we serve a God that wants to be in a personal relationship with us, that wants to walk with us each day. But it starts really with us acknowledging that, we, that he is holy, that he has the plan. And even when that plan doesn't line up with ours, we're okay with it and we say, yes, Lord, 
Yes, Lord, I will follow you. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, the way that things are going to improve in this world is when the body of Christ comes together in humility and gentleness and patience and is united. And somehow we can't seem to get that together in the body of Christ. There's so much division in the body of Christ. And we see it all the time. And I really believe it's because we're not willing to approach God first with total humility and then interact with other people with that same humility. You know, we don't always have to be right. Although that seems to be instilled in us that we want to be right all the time, but we're not. So I hope today we think about how are we approaching God? Are we approaching Him and focusing on that majesty and splendor and glory and holiness? Or do we approach Him telling Him how things ought to be? Because I hope we can be like those guys that were talked about in the devotional with Moses and Ezekiel and John that fell before Him and worshiped him in total humility. Because when we start to do that, it's going to change how we interact with other people, and it's going to change how we go out and take the gospel to the nations. And so that's my prayer to us, is that we as the body of Christ are united in total humility, falling at Jesus' feet, worshiping him, and taking that same that same uh, trait and quality and characteristic out to the people that we meet, that we approach them humbly so that we can share why we're following Jesus and help lead others to him. Amen.